Hey, everybody. Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. What does Kamaru Usman have to do to top GSP as the greatest welterweight of all time? I also interview John Morgan from MMA Junkie about all things UFC 268. And what is next for Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler after their absolute war? Can Kamaru get past GSP? So before I get into my opinion, which should basically settle it, right, Kevin? That's what we do here on Unlocking It. We settle the debates. Like, our Mount Rushmore is the Mount Rushmore. Remember that, KB? When we did that? Yeah, uh-huh. We yes, settle debates. Right, exactly. So this is what Dana White had to say about Usman's place in welterweight history. If Usman doesn't exist, Colby Covington is the champion here, you know? Usman is just, this, this guy's the best ever. He, he's the best welterweight of all time, uh, he is uh, is on his way to possible GOAT status. And Colby Covington is one tough dude. I mean, he is so tough. Here is the deal. And I'm not, say- I'm not saying Dana White is wrong a- at all. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is a promoter will never tell you that the person who's not making them money is the best. That's it, right? If he says GSP is the greatest welterweight of all time, He's pumping up a guy who's not making him money. GSP doesn't fight anymore. And so they never expect a promoter to hype up anyone who's not fighting for him. So I'm not saying Dana White is wrong, okay? But I'm saying a promoter cannot be trusted to be a neutral observer because they're always going to go after whoever's making them right now, right? Whoever's making them money, whoever's right now building up their brand. It would be stupid for them to do otherwise, okay? It's whether you're in professional wrestling, whether you're in, uh, which, of course, sports entertainment, or whether you're in actual fighting. It's always whoever is our champ right now is, oh, my God, the greatest of all time. is amazing because anyone older is not making you money. So Dana White is not exactly a neutral party. But is he? Hmm, that's interesting. So do we have a comparatively neutral uh Observer, I think we do. In uh, that's right, Chael Sonnen, the American gangster, on his YouTube channel. This is what he had to say about Kamar Usman, GSP legacy-wise. Kamar Usman is out there defending a championship of the world and pound-for-pound status while chasing a ghost of George St. Pierre. It's a very hard spot for Usman, but. That creates a whole nother discussion. First off, retirement for Kamar Usman, even though that's not anywhere in his mouth, is gonna come a lot quicker than you might think. He's done everything. He's now going through it his second time, and he only has one goal left, which is to overtake the idea of George St. Pierre. Pretty difficult, right? But he's well on his way. Uh, Smart words from Chael Sonnen. He's chasing and fighting against the idea, right? The idea of GSP, not the person, not the record. You're up against the idea of George St. Pierre. And that's different than than fighting actually George St. Pierre because these guys were just in different eras. And one of the reasons it's hard to compare the record of Kamaru Usman with the record of George St. Pierre, while it's, why it's kind of you know, apples to oranges here, is let me take you back a bit. 
Let me take you back to the professional debut of George St. Pierre against who remembers it. You remember it, right, KB? I'm sorry, repeat the question, Jimmy. His debut, GSP debut in the UFC? Uh, Hang on. I always say one or the other, and I always – I'm trying to remember which one is in my head and which one is the correct right. answer. So the one I always think is Mayhem Miller. So I'm going to go with Carl Parisian. No, Carl Parisian. Yes. Jason Miller was his return uh, after he went to TKO for a fight. Right. And beat up Dave Strasser. So uh, anyway, Carl Parisian, his sixth professional fight. He defeated Carl Parisian, who hasn't really, like, aged well. You know what I mean? Like, he's not considered a great all-time great welterweight. He was a great welterweight back in the day. And – Beats him by unanimous decision. Beats Jay Haran. And then what's his third fight in the UFC? Oh, that's right. Matt Hughes for the title. That's how it worked back then. In his eighth professional fight, he fought, at the time, the greatest welterweight on earth. And he lost. That's why it's so hard to compare the records of Kamar Usman and GSP. By the time uh, Kamar Usman kind of gets into the UFC... All right. He isn't that much further along in his career. Um, he was seven fights in. Who does he fight? Hader Hassan. Then Leon Edwards is just getting started. Great now, wasn't great then. Alexander Yakovlev, Warley Alves, Sean Strickland, Sergio Morais, Emil Meek. Then he got. we get into Damian Meyer, Rafael Dos Santos, Tyron Woodley, get into to, to real contenders. That warm-up period didn't exist for GSP. He fought Matt Hughes, then Jason in the UFC. Matt Hughes, he lost. Jason Miller, Frank Trigg, Sean Shirk, BJ Penn, Matt Hughes. Right? So just back in the day, once you were considered a an up-and-comer, you fought for a title. That was it. Anderson Silva fought for the middleweight title in his second fight in the UFC. Destroys Chris Lieb, and then he takes on Rich Franklin. That's the way it happened back then. So you get longer runs. When you got the title, which he did, uh, obviously against Matt Hughes in his, his 14th pro fight, and he was off and running. After that, it's all legends, man. Josh Koscik, Matt Hughes again, Matt Serra, John Fitch, BJ Penn, Thiago Alves, Dan Hardy, Josh Koscik, Jake Shields, Carlos Condit, Nick Diaz, Johnny Hendricks, and then coming back and facing Michael Bisping. The trajectory back then was different. So it's just hard for... A, a modern fighter who is fighting, by the way, better fighters on average, just because they're they're more skilled, to to catch up. When I look at Kamar Usman's record, he really doesn't start going until Damian Maya. Damian Maya was for the okay former title challenger, really really good. Beats him. I called that fight in Argentina. Then it's Rafael dos Anjos. Then it's Tyron Woodley. He wins the title. Kobe Covington, Ori Masvidal. We know all this stuff. Okay. So it's hard. Also, another thing that is an issue when comparing the legacies is their trajectories are totally different. GSP finished a lot of guys until he ran into the greatest upset in mixed martial arts history, in my opinion. We got knocked out by Matt Serra, an unheralded fighter who was past his prime, who wasn't a natural 170-pounder. I could go on and on and on about why he was supposed to lose, and he won. After that, he generally wins by decision. He beats Matt Hughes by submission. He beats Matt Sarah in the rematch. Beats BJ Penn. That's it. The rest are decisions. Johnny Hendricks, Nick Diaz, Carlos Condit, Jake Chills. He ended his UFC run 
until coming back, obviously, at 185, with seven straight decisions. Everybody talks about how great GSP was, and they're not wrong. He was great. There was a lot of grumbling about GSP playing it safe and, you know, I wouldn't say laying, praying. He was active, but takedown, safety first, didn't like banging after getting knocked out by Matt Serra and realizing he was human. The best example, in my opinion, I would say was the um, Carl, uh, I'm sorry, not Carl, the Jake Shields fight. When he outboxed him for three rounds, took a shot to the eye. Remember his eyes started swelling up, Gibby? And he played it safe for the last two rounds. Literally went, hey, man, I got it in the bank. I'm coasting. And he did. He won it 3-2. He tended to make this. You didn't get, man, I'm stepping forward, biting down on my mouthpiece and finishing this guy. He didn't really do that. Kamar Usman worked the other way around. Kobe Covington, all snoozeman and decision machine. He was early on in his career in the UFC. He only finished Sergio Moraes. And Hader Hassan, which was his, his his debut. Other than that, it was decision, decision, decision. And then he knocks out Colby Covington, right? Then he knocks out Gilbert Burns, knocks out Jorge Masvidal. We started seeing his finishing ability come out late. And so trajectories like this. It goes like an airplane, straight up. He became more exciting late. GSP became less exciting late. Here are my thoughts on it, all right? Here's the way I think about it. When I look at GSP and I look at Kamaru Usman, I'm objective about it, and I remember the primes of both guys. I really honestly do. I remember the primes of both fighters because I I loved GSP back in the day. I saw his rise. And I have to say that it's going to take some distance because there were guys when, when GSP fought them that we looked at and went, okay, are, are they great? Are they good for their era? And certain ones have passed the, 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 the test of time and other ones have not. But at the time, they were all extremely dangerous. They were all extremely tough. We all thought they were great. What GSP did that Kamar Usman has yet to do is he wiped out a whole generation. An entire generation. They really had to start digging for contenders by the end of his run. And Kamaru Usman has yet to, I think, two more wins. I think if, let's say, he beats Gilbert Burns on a rematch, I'm just throwing out names, maybe Vicente Luque, then maybe a Kamzat Shemaev. I consider that generation cleared out, and I believe that Kamaru Usman can be it. There is one thing that I think is is important to keep in mind. Kamara Usman has never lost in his prime. GSP did. GSP lost in a huge upset to Matt Serra. Did did he avenge it? Yes. Was it a fluke? Sure. He did. Kamara Usman hasn't just not lost in his prime. He's looked untouchable. By everyone except Colby Covington. That's saying a lot. GSP lost to Matt Serra. And he looked very vulnerable against Johnny Hendricks. I thought he lost that fight. I scored it for Johnny Hendricks. Whether you did or you didn't, he certainly looked vulnerable in that fight. And so GSP had had hiccups. Kamara Usman has looked absolutely untouchable. And if he clears out two or three more, I think he's above GSP. I don't put him there right now. Right now, as I'm sitting here, if Kamaru's been rode off into the sunset right now, 
GSP is number one. Two or three more, and Kamar Usman's number one, for sure. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. John Morgan from MMA Junkie. How you doing, my man? I'm good, man. Still buzzing after that event, no doubt. Right? Now, just sitting here with a clear mind, right? You don't know what I'm going to ask you. You're ready for anything. You're, like, crouched up, ready to go. When I say UFC 268, what leaps out first in your mind about that card? I mean, first of all, just the overall quality of it. I mean, the fact that we had an event that highly anticipated that delivered that much action in Madison Square Garden, packed arena. You know what I mean? Recency bias is a very real yeah. thing. But when you're highly anticipating something that big and it delivers like that, just absolutely phenomenal action top to bottom. I mean, obviously there's individual fights we can talk about, but and you're talking about just one of the greatest overall events I think we've ever seen. Yeah, it, it was great from top to bottom. I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, the decision to start the, the, the card off with Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, of course, uh, f- basically to help out Trevor Whitman because he had three fighters on the main card and he needed a little bit of a break. But uh, to start it off with that, it all and what I said on air, whatever it was, 20 minutes ago, Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo, I, I, that's fight of the night on a lot of cards. It followed <laughs> up Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler, so it was almost like a dud, and those guys, those guys were sitting there killing each other at featherweight. Unfair, right, for anybody to follow Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler. Oh, 100%. I felt so bad for those guys. They put an absolute battle out there, and it felt like the crowd was a little bit flat, but I get it. It was just like your excitement level was so high for Gaethje and Chandler. Like, there was nothing to do but come down a little bit. So, you know, that was absolutely fantastic. And you're right. You know, the reason the decision was made to move it to the, to the starting event is, as you said, you know, uh, to help out Trevor Whitman. And I think that worked great for those guys, especially, I think, for Rose Namajunas, who I think, you know, really likes to have that kind of guidance as she's getting ready. But in terms of what it did for entertainment value, man, it just set the bar so high right out the gate. Uh, absolutely incredible. Now, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. But before I do, I want, I want your opinion about it. Did you see it as... The, the the overall game of Justin Gaethje, the, the, the fight IQ he had, or the limitations of Michael Chandler. When you think about that match, those are the two sides to me. Justin Gaethje looked very good. Like he has complete skills, and obviously the war, the heart, all that stuff is great. Michael Chandler looked powerful, but the same limitations that I thought dogged him in Bellator have followed him to the UFC. Am I being harsh or fair with that? No, I think you're being I think you're being fair with that. I think it's worth pointing out that when you say limitations, you're not saying that he's at some mediocre level. You know what I mean? He's fighting at a right, level. Right. He's executing at elite level. But you're just talking about that one little extra notch up that gets you to the championship level. And I think as long as people understand that's the argument you're making, you're spot on. Michael Chandler is a fantastic fighter. He's a phenomenal fighter, and he's going to keep putting on entertaining fights in the UFC. I can't wait to see what he does next. But there's just that one little notch above that Justin Gaethje was able to capitalize on, and that's why he was able to win this fight. 
talking to John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com. And and, and the win for Justin Gaethje, I mean, I wouldn't say he was in a must-win situation. He's very popular with the fans and all stuff. But at 155, does it seem to you that if it were a ladder, the rungs of the ladder would be about six feet apart? You just can't afford to fall at all because there's so many good guys. Is that how it feels at 155? It just seems like everything's kind of exaggerated, right? Yeah. No, it's just so deep. You, 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 take, you take a step back, and there's just so many people that are willing to fill in. As you said, six feet between the rungs, great way to put it. There's bodies there. Uh, and, and listen, I mean, there was the argument. Who deserves the title shot next, right? Is it him? Is, has Islam Makachev done enough at this point to, to swoop in and, and take a title shot? And I think this was, you know, the clear exclamation point. That, no, Justin Gaethje is the guy, and yes, he had the loss to Habib Nurmagomedov, but so did everybody else. And Gaethje's done enough to get back there and get his shot at the winner uh, of the title fight coming up in December. It is with the heavy heart that I watch certain fights. And I, I got to say, I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, John, but I was five or five on the main card. I mean, right. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't be like, I wasn't going to say anything about it, but I, I got the feeling you wanted to hear. So I picked Marlon Vera over Frankie Edgar. I didn't feel good about myself, right? I was like, I went to bed going, man, I don't like this. I don't feel good about myself picking against Frankie Edgar. It was with a heavy heart that I saw that front kick knockout. But Frankie Edgar, having been competitive at the elite level for so long, 40 years old, you know the pattern as well as I do. When you've only lost two elite guys, when you do have that stumble against, let's face it, Marlon Vera, good, not great right now. Maybe you could get there. It's usually the end of the road. What did you think of that fight and that statement? Yeah, man, I was in the exact same boat as you, man. I, I, I picked Chito for the fight, but it, you know, picking against Frank Yeager, is just, I mean, he's a, he's a true legend of the sport and just a great guy. I mean, who doesn't appreciate all the work he's done in the octagon and just appreciate the guy that he is? It's tough to watch him lose, and it's tough to watch him lose in devastating fashion. I mean, I can tell you the feeling in the apex earlier this year when he lost by flying knee to Corey Sanhagen, man, it was just everybody in there had a heavy heart. So this was tough to watch. Um, listen, we talked to, to Frankie ahead of time and, you know, thought maybe this would be a perfect retirement fight, win or lose. You know, maybe especially win. Win in Madison Square Garden, lay down the gloves right there, have 20,000 people cheering for you, and he made it clear, look, I'm a fighter. This is what I do. I'm going to continue fighting. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I worry a little bit every time I see him go out there, and I hate to say that. He's a grown man capable of making his own decisions. But, yeah, you don't want to see this guy taking damage because he is such a legend. And, unfortunately, because he is a legend and the name value that he carries, you know, he's, he's not going to get matched up with, you know, gimme fights if there are any in the UFC to begin with. So it's going to be a tough path moving forward. I know Frankie doesn't want to hang him up just yet, but, man, it's, it's tough to see him just beating the absolute elite in the division right now. And, you know, those are the only kind of people he wants to fight anyway. So it's, it's a tough spot for him to be in right now. I was talking one time to a matchmaker uh, at the UFC. I won't say which one because it was a private conversation, but uh, about BJ Penn, right? And and he said everybody got mad when we matched BJ Penn up, uh, you know, in with, with, with tough guys, right? They were like, oh, man, he's a legend and all stuff. If we don't match him up with tough guys, he'll win and want another one. We, we can't right. win because you put him against a tough guy, then he gets his block knocked off. Everybody criticizes you. If you put him against a guy he can beat, he'll win and go, give me another one. And you go, look, we, th- there's no easy out to pasture, right? There is no – we can't get rid of somebody easily because if we give him an easy one and they can retire, they usually don't. If we give him a tough one and they can beat up, we're the cruel ones. It, it's it just – we hardly ever see the, the, the ride into the sunset in combat sports, man. It's it's just a hard way to walk out. It is exactly what you said. You're always chasing that last little bit, and if you win, like you said, I still got it. I still yeah. got it. You know what I mean? It's 
it's difficult to say. So it's just a hard place to find an inning. And obviously with Frank, he's such a legend. Nobody wants to be disrespectful. You know, nobody wants to, 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 to be rude to the guy who's done so much and sacrificed so much and delivered it so much. But I, I don't know. And unfortunately, I feel like his days as, as a championship-level fighter are probably behind him. But he's 40 years old. It's not as if that's abnormal. That's just the normal route for this thing. This is not – it is a young man's game, you know. And he's been able to beat Father Time for a long time. But – uh, you know, as they say, Father Time remains undefeated. So we'll see what's next. I, I don't think Frankie is ready to be done. Um, but, you know, I think he also understands that that day is coming uh, sooner rather than later. Speaking of John Morgan from MMAJunkie.com, a uh, great fight mind. When I look at the, the women's strawweight title, Rose Namunis, Zhang Weili, Zhang Weili looked 1,000% more prepared. And of all the fights on this card, I would say, I don't, I don't want to say controversial, but when it was over and Rose Namunis and Zhang Weili stepped into the center, I didn't know who was going to win this one. I was very up in the air about who had won. I thought Zhang Weili started very, very strong. Rose Namunis finished very, very strong. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of ask you what I asked my, my crew here a little, a little while ago. Kamar Usman did what Zhang Weili did, and he won. Zhang Weili didn't win, doing the exa- virtually the exact same thing Kamar Usman did. Started strong and then faded a little bit late. Do you think there's a little bit of a champion's advantage in MMA? You know, they're not supposed to, but we know what happens. Do you believe there was a little bit of that at play, or did you score it clearly for Rose Namajunas? Well, that's a very interesting question, and I think obviously those judges have to be the ones to answer it. As you said, right. you're not supposed to do that, but I could obviously see if if you're unsure, maybe you kind of lean that way. I did have a score for Rose Namajunas. I had two, four, and five for Rose. Um, but as you said, I thought there was a case that, that maybe two was, was for Zhang Wiley as well. So maybe it was going to be three, two. So, you know, I, I certainly didn't feel confident and comfortable that, oh, no question about it, Rose is, is walking away with her belt today. Uh, it was a very, very close fight. And as you said, Zhang Wiley looked 100% better than what she used to be in, in, in improvement tactics options available to her you know her, her striking is, is always been phenomenal but the you know the addition of the wrestling the improvements there were great uh and, and you know had she been able to, to win the fifth round i think she would have walked away with, with the fight but she just couldn't do it she kind of admitted she faded off in that fifth round she just felt exhausted there um i, I look i think they're going to fight again at some point if not them you know i think jane wiley will earn her way back to a title fight she's that good uh this is just a tough matchup for her and rose gutted it out a little bit so uh, you know, as, as to whether or not there's a champion's bias, I, I don't know. I, you know, I can see it. Again, it's, it's those individual judges that have to put the scorecards down. But I can see, you know, if it's close, you, you kind of lean one way over the other. But I did score for Rose, but I, I thought it was a very, very close one. What do you believe, and it's going to be a big debate, and I'll talk about it a little bit later. What do you believe is next for Rose Namunis for, for simply um, – deserving a title shot. It's hard to take it away from Carla Esparza, but it seems as though Dana White isn't interested in that fight, and it's the least it's the least appealing to a casual fan. Carla Esparza is a solid contender. I think it would be a good fight, but people aren't clamoring for Carla Esparza, even though she might deserve the next shot. What do you think is next for Rose Namajunas, man? Look, I think it's got to be Carla Esparza, and I, I'm, I'm yeah. right with you, man. I've been there asking the questions to Dana White, you know, and you know he, he told me a couple of weeks back, oh, if I was Carla, I'd stay busy, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd keep going. I'm like, wow, that's kind of bad, you know, and then I asked him on Saturday night, or, you know, is this the next logical fight? He's like, well, it's, it's one option. So you're right. It's very clear the UFC is trying not to go in that direction. And you're right. I think it's the least appealing to the casuals, but let's get that UFC promotional machine behind it, right? I mean, the story is there. I mean, Carla Esparza owns the victory over Rose Namajunas. I mean, this is payback, right? And then she's gone on this incredible run, five straight wins. You know, she's beaten top contenders and 
Genshaw now, Marina Rodriguez. I mean, even Michelle Waterson's a recognizable name. I mean, she's got these big victories. So you're right. I think as it stands right now, it's the least appealing from the UFC's point of view. But I think they should get their muscle behind it and promote it the way it should be because, to me, the story is there. The results are there. Carla Esparza deserves the next shot, even though it does appear that they're trying to hesitate and looking at other options. So what it looks like, speaking, of course, of John Morgan uh, from MMAJunkie.com. So Kamar Usman, Colby Covington, it's one of those things when you look at this fight, it's without Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier is the greatest heavyweight of his era. Without GSP, I think John Fitch has a long title run. We could go on Rich Franklin. Who knows what he could have accomplished if there hadn't been this one guy, Anderson Silva, that got in his way. Could Colby Covington be that guy, just the number two guy of his era? And outside of the GSP and Kamal Usman era, he's champ, and he's champ for a long time. What do you think of that? I think you're absolutely right. You know, the example I always like to use is uh, Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, right? I mean, Phil yeah. Mickelson, heck of a golfer, but you just happen to be playing at the same time as Tiger Woods, so you're not the guy that you could have been. And I think, unfortunately, that's where Colby Covington is going to fall. I mean, listen, I was super excited for this rematch. But as we got closer, you know, I started really thinking about, you know, the first time they fought, I thought, man, here's the guy that has the pace to match Usman. He has the wrestling to match Usman. He has... But the more I started thinking about it, I'm like, well, you can't just match it. You've got to outdo him somewhere as well. And where does he do that? And now that we've seen, you know, Kamaru Usman add in the striking as well, you know, he didn't necessarily get to flex the power as much as he had lately, but certainly that jab was on point. Uh, it started to be more clear to me that, that this was just going to be Usman's fight to win. You know, I didn't think it was necessarily the best performance of all time from Kamaru Usman, but Colby Covington's tough to look good against in the, in the way that he competes. And, look, I do think Colby Covington is a deserving, you know, number two guy in the world right now. And I know that's not where he wants to be, but I think what you have to do, you know, if you're looking at this as a fan or an analyst or whatever, maybe you don't like the guy. And I understand that a lot of people don't like the guy. But if you're shortchanged him for his skill sets, then, then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing because the guy is really that talented as frustrating as he may be, I just don't know what it's going to take for him to get over that hump right now. I, I just think Kamaru Usman is just a little bit better, and it has all the things that he needs to do to beat him. And, you know, should they get together for a third time, I would lean Usman in that third time as well. So it's a tough spot for Colby Covington. I don't know exactly where uh, he goes next. I do, I will say this, I love the promotional genius of being in the post-fight press conference and already turning the attention to Jorge Masvidal because that's a, that's a big money fight, a big rivalry fight. It's a very winnable fight for Colby Covington. Uh, I, I like the fact that he's keeping himself relevant. I didn't love the fact that he was immediately starting to call Usman a cheater again and yeah. all that. I, you yeah. know, I like to see a little post-fight respect. I wish he would have done that. It's very on-brand. Like of, of starting to set up. Yeah, on-brand for sure. <laughs> all right, so, John, you know me. I've known you for a long time. I asked the tough questions. I got two tough questions for you. The first one is, <laughs> of the two losers in the co-main and main, both had two shots at the champ, both lost very close fights, who gets a title opportunity first in your mind, Zhang Weili or Kobe Covington? Or do neither of them? Ooh, man, that yeah, is a tough yeah. one. You like That's that? That's how I roll. I like that question because you're talking about two very deep divisions, right? Yes. You're talking a lot, a lot of really good fighters there in a row. You know what? I'll, um, I'll, I'll say Zhang Weili. You know what I'm going to say, Zhang Weili? I'm gonna, let's peel back the curtain a little bit. Let's talk about business operations and growth opportunities in <laughs> China. China. You know what I mean? China. A billion customers. A billion, an untapped billion person market. Yeah, I get it. I get it 100%. Uh, now, my second tough question this, John, do not hang up on me, dude. All right. Kamara Usman, GSP, legacy wise, who's on top? Ooh, man. I, listen, I think Usman is in the discussion. 
I don't think he's there yet. To me, when you're talking about legacy, you're talking about accomplishments, not necessarily just talent, not necessarily just skills, but you're talking about, you know, the accomplishments that have been done. And when you're talking about a lengthier resume for George St. Pierre, the lengthier reign at the top, the more title defenses, all those stats that you can throw out, I think those stats hold up. And so for me, I'm still going with GSP right now, but I, I want to let it be known that I feel like Kamaru Usman is well on his way to eclipsing those marks, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that, you know, a year, maybe two years from now, we're looking up and saying, ha, it's clear this isn't even a debate anymore. My question for you, John, being an old-school fan like me, people don't understand fighters started out at a higher level earlier 10, 15 years ago, right? I pointed out when I was talking about it earlier, GSP's first first fight in the UFC was was, um, Carl Parisian, right? His yep. third fight was Matt Hughes for the title. That's how it worked back then. If you look good in your first couple fights, you fought for a title. Anderson Silva's second fight in the UFC was for a title. That happened all the time. Nowadays, fighters just have to fight a lot more to get that opportunity, so their their runs just aren't as long. Is there just an advantage to being from GSP's era when it comes to numbers? Well, that's a great point. You know, you, when you're talking about, you know, the early days, you're fighting guys that are, you know, absolute studs and proven commodities as well. So uh, you're absolutely right about that. You know, and he got started in his title reign earlier as well. You know, you're not yep. seeing these guys that have to go on 12, 13 fight win streaks just to get a shot at the belt. So you're probably right. You know, there is a little bit of a bias there in the fact that he was able to do that earlier on. So that probably did assist him a little bit. But, I mean, you look at the level of competition and the names that he faced and the, and the things that he was able to do and how long he did it and just how dominant he was. You know, the fact that, you know, he was winning every fight but winning every round as well. I mean, it was an incredible run. Like, I, look, I think Usman has all of it. Usman's still getting better. That's what you're saying. When you look at how good he is, we're seeing improvements <laughs> every time out. So I, I don't want to take it away. I don't want to see it as a knock. But, I mean, come on. When you're talking about the greatest of all time, you're, 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 you know, you're not putting per- one person down by saying he's just slightly in second place. I, I, I am a huge fan of Kamaru Usman and his skill set and what he's capable of. I just think he needs a little bit more time at the top before we say clear greatest of all time. John, you responded well to the tough questions. That's why I have you on. I really appreciate your insight, my man. Always a pleasure, bro. Thanks for having me. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL, taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. All right. <clears throat> Let me, uh, Kelly is just beaming. She could not be happier. She's giggling. Am I, KLB, am, I, am I lying? Am I even exaggerating? Nope. She's about as happy as she'll ever be on this show. As right she now. will ever be on this show, right? Because usually she's the queen of hate. She's full of love today. She's full of love instead of hate. How does it, is it weird? Is it weird? Does it feel weird? No, oddly, it feels extremely right because right. Justin Gaethje won over the weekend. Right. To, to be full of joy and peace. So, one of the best fights of the year, yes. Um, I'm going to be totally honest here, which uh, I normally am on the show, but as soon as I saw Michael Chandler come out, and remember, as we will talk about in a minute, I, I predicted Justin Gaethje to win this fight. Michael Chandler looked like exactly how I expected Michael Chandler to look. 
just bound up with energy, super duper tight, bouncing around, hands really high, shoulders tense. And it looked to me like Michael Chandler. It looked like exactly how Michael Chandler can look at his best and worst. And what I mean by that is, and a lot of people will take this as an insult, but Michael's style, considering especially how long he's been in it, how long he's been at the elite level, how long he's been successful at the elite level, is almost amateurish. And what I mean by that is when someone walks into your gym, and let's say they're a former wrestler, they're a great athlete, they're explosive, they naturally hit hard, they tend to just be super tight and they try to knock you out with every single punch. And as a coach, and to elevate their game, you teach them to snap their jab. You teach them to relax their shoulders. You teach them to drop their chin. You teach them to use footwork without tensing their legs all the time, right? All these energy conservation things. We try and keep their power and keep their explosiveness, but teach them to relax sometimes. For some reason, Michael Chandler has been able to get to the top of the sport without ever doing that. And against Justin Gaethje, as great as this fight was, there was almost this sense of, A, disappointment, at the way Michael Chandler was fighting, even though I expected him to fight this way, and almost inevitability in how the fight would work out. Because the way Michael Chandler fights, he has two gears, fifth gear and first gear. And that's it. He's either blasting gigantic punches to knock your head into the third row, or he's completely out of gas and dropping his hands and literally walking into punches. I have often told you on air, my dear listeners, that there's a series called Legendary Nights that you have to check out. It's on YouTube. KOB and I are big fans. We've seen all of them. There was one. It was Larry Holmes versus Jerry Cooney. And there's a quote there by Larry Merchant. He goes, as the fight progressed, we saw that we were seeing a complete professional in Larry Holmes against an incomplete professional in Jerry Cooney. I got that same feeling watching this fight. We saw Justin Gaethje has five gears. One, two, three, four, five. He can jab and move. He can trade with you. He can, he can hit that fifth gear and, and slug it out with you. He can hit four where he's slugging really hard, but he's conserving a little bit of energy. He can go three. He has all of them, and he can switch in between them very quickly. Mike has two. Blast you. Or I'm out of gas and I need to recharge. And as great as you can be with those two gears, you'll never be as good as the guys that have all of them. And Justin Gaethje had all of them. It was clear from the beginning. And as a result, did I see the great fight everybody else saw? Yeah, I did. But it seemed almost inevitable that Justin Gaethje would win after the first round. Was I the only person that thought that? KOB, what are your thoughts? Because it really seemed like, like once you get past round one, Gaethje's just going to – he has more tools. Yeah. It, yeah. it just seemed like at, at a certain point <laughs> – I think this probably happens to a lot of people who fight Justin Gaethje. Chandler had one of those, like, what am I going to have to do to put this guy away? Yeah. Like, and that third round, man, like – he just looked like he didn't know what to do, so he just started doing that whole hands-down thing and walking forward and letting Gaethje tag. It almost like he accepted the loss at that point. Like, he wasn't even going to try to do something to try to turn the fight yeah. around. 
It was crazy. Or, like, you know, dare him into some kind of slugfest. Yeah. And maybe I, yeah, and, you know. But just, that was the thing. It wasn't even yeah. like, like like he was luring him in and he was throwing a counter shot here. He was just getting hit. Yeah, he was just getting hit. He was just walking straight forward. So, hands down. And then other moments where he was kind of like, like yelling that Gage should come here, but like still moving around, like, all yeah. around, like circling the ring. Like, it, it was a weird ending. And it just seemed like he almost accepted defeat at that point and just wanted to either pumped the crowd up to make him think like he still wanted to fight, but it was it was very clear he was kind of staying away for the most part. And his takedown of Justin Gaethje, while impressive, was it that that was like a microcosm for Michael Chandler. He gets in there, beautiful double leg, lifts Justin Gaethje into the air, which he didn't have to do, just tosses him to the ground, doesn't control him. So Justin Gaethje scrambles and gets on top, and it's like you wasted all that energy. You did the most inefficient takedown possible. But at least you got him down and you didn't secure it properly and he got away from you. It's like everything Michael Chandler does would be great in a video game, but in a in real life, fighters as inefficient as Michael Chandler generally don't get to the level, and he has, but it's like this will always dog him. Kelly, am I being too harsh? No, not at all. I mean, like you guys were saying, after the first round, I feel like Justin Gaethje really took the worst he could have yeah. taken from Michael Chandler and literally walked right through it. That's the only round that I did give Michael Chandler. And after rewatching it, thought you could have given it to Justin Gaethje as well. But two um, judges gave it to him, by the way, to Chandler. That first to Chandler, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And every like every, in every other aspect, Justin Gaethje looked better. And Michael Chandler's always like, you know, we're both chaotic. And I'm like, yeah, sure. But Justin Gaethje has become selectively chaotic. He knows when. He needs to go in there and just throw bombs, and he knows when he needs to take a step back and kind of decipher what's going on and really pick his shots, whereas Michael Chandler just doesn't know that. So he does everything he can do in the first round, and then after that, it just doesn't look good. It, yeah, and and so when everybody – and I, I do appreciate it. I do think it was a great fight and all stuff. There was that sense of, God, if Mike just made better choices – it would be a better fight and he could maybe win it. And 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 I felt like after round one, yes, it was exciting. It certainly was, but it was almost like Justin was just clearly a level better. And I and I, you know, so it didn't have that ebb and flow and back and forth of example oh, for example, the first Kamaru Usman Kobe Covington fight. It was back and forth the whole time. And in round five, I was like, Oh my God, I thought Kobe Covington was gonna win and and you know Kamaru Usman snatched it away from him. It didn't have that kind of tension and drama. And so Kamaru Usman showed, once again, how well-rounded he is. Michael Chandler showed how unfortunately, I wouldn't say one-dimensional, but maybe two-dimensional he is. And so here's the weird thing, is that um, in a sense, Michael Chandler might fail up if you guys know that expression because conor mcgregor is now going back and forth forth with him on twitter that'd be a huge payday for michael chandler let me tell you something uh conor mcgregor is not going back and forth with michael chandler because he doesn't think he can beat him he saw the vulnerabilities i'm talking about and went hey i can pick this guy apart i can outmove him and i can win this in the fourth and fifth round I know I can. And I believe it, too. I'm sitting here going, you know, Chandler, do what he does, which is throw big bombs in round one. Generally speaking, Connor's good at dealing with that kind of style. And 
So Conor McGregor is not going back and forth. I mean, who knows if they'll fight, but he's not even entertaining this idea because he thinks he'll lose to Michael Chandler. He thinks this guy is exciting, but he's not as versatile as me. I can do more than him. My footwork's more advanced than his, and I can pick him apart. That's why they're going back and forth. So Chandler now 1-2 and two in the UFC. I said before this fight that he had the most to lose of anybody. I'm changing that a little bit simply because Conor McGregor seems to be somewhat interested in a match with him, which would be a step up in terms of money, certainly keep him relevant, certainly keep him in a big fight and all these things. So he may be out of the title picture for the foreseeable future, and unless he fixes these issues, folks, he's never going to get there. He's never going to get there. Period. I'm not being harsh. I really like Michael Chandler. He's a great guy. Da da da. Spent a lot of time with him. It's just we've seen that he can do two things, three things really well, but he doesn't have that all-time great elite ability to have four or five different weapons. He doesn't have that. Blasting right hand, good left hook, nice double leg. The end of list. Okay, and so. In a division that's as good as this one, that's not going to get you to the top. I don't think he beats Dustin Poirier. I don't think he obviously already lost to Charles Oliveira, but I don't think he beats him in a rematch. Don't think he beats Islam Makachev. So that's the deal. Does this fight make sense? Michael Chandler versus um, Conor McGregor? Yeah, it would be exciting. People would love to see it. It makes sense. And Conor McGregor believes he can win, and that's one of the things now about Conor McGregor fighting can't afford to lose. He doesn't think he loses to Michael Chandler. Justin Gaethje almost certainly gets the winner of Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira. Boop, period, end of sentence. He should get that fight. To make him fight Islam Makachev I think is unfair, especially after a war like that with Michael Chandler. He's going to need a little time off. And I believe Islam Makachev needs one more to really get in there. So Justin Gaethje moves up, Michael Chandler moves down, but if he can get Conor McGregor, all right, that, that, that's failing up, essentially, and I think he might do that, but we've seen the limits, in my opinion, of Michael Chandler's style. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.